0: Hi there and welcome to the Beatle Brothers podcast. Brian and Joe Flynn are from Ireland. They're lifelong Beatles fans. In this series of podcasts they reflect on the life and times the influence and the immortal music of the Fab Four. This is an essential listen for all fans of the Beatles.
1: Hi, hello there and welcome to another Beatle podcast from the Beatle Brothers. These are a series of podcasts my brother and I are putting together on all things Beatles, relating to the band and to their music. Now, We've done four or five of these at this stage, and just as a little sidebar before we begin to address today's topic, we've had some feedback, mainly from friends uh, on what they've heard so far, and it's all been very positive, and it's all been very nice. But we were very surprised to find that a lot of people have made the point to us that we don't do any proper introduction of ourselves, that we're not telling anything about who we are. Now, this came as a bit of a shock to us because it wasn't something we intended to do nor see the necessary to do. Um, I, we we haven't written any books on the Beatles and we don't, you know, host any radio or television programs on the band or teach degree or PhD courses on Beatleology, any of those things. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, fair play to people who do. It's no disrespect, but it's just that we don't have that sort of, we don't have that qualification. But we don't see that that's altogether necessary because the whole beauty about Beatle music is the, is, is the music and what you love. And everybody has access to that and everybody's opinion is equally, is equally valid. And when we started out on this little little venture, um, our, our initial idea, if we had a template at all, which we really didn't have, but if we did, it would have been, what would we like to hear? And we decided that we would like to hear people talking about what they loved about the band and and uh, particularly about the music and that's what we try to base this whole thing on our idea would be we keep them short so that you can you can pop one on if you're if you're driving to work if you're doing a workout if you're i don't know cycling home in the evening for work or, or maybe having a cup of coffee first thing in the morning or when you get the kids off to school and you have a little bit of time for yourself that's the idea and they're, they're, they're no more complicated than that But just for the record, let me say the following. My name is Joe Flynn, and I live in the beautiful medieval city of Kilkenny in the southeast of Ireland, famous for a lot of things, including beer. I live there with my wife. I'm retired. We play a lot of golf. I play guitar with some buddies one night a week, purely for our own enjoyment, and I'm quite happy. I I live a very contented life uh, being retired and I suppose having nothing much to do. My brother, on the other hand, lives on the other side of of the country. He's over on the western seaboard and he lives in the very traditional county of Clare. Clare, very famous for traditional music. If you're ever in that neck of the woods and you want to hear the authentic Irish traditional music, that's where you go. He's also semi-retired, but he does do some work with a fantastic local radio programme, or station uh, clear fm uh, a marvelous bunch of people all together he plays guitar also but he gigs and also just for his own uh, satisfaction and i think he's blissfully happy in his old age so that's us there's nothing more complicated than that we're just two people who love this band and love their music and have all our lives and there's nothing makes us happier than if we if we happen upon somebody who feels the same way, and then we, we, we can spend hours talking about this band. That's where we come from. So, to today's team. Um, it fell to me, actually, to choose what we were going to talk about today. And I've decided that we should spend a little time talking about the two, perhaps lesser-known Beatles, that being George Harrison and Richard Starkey, better known to the world as Ringo Starr. And I'm going to do this... Um, by way of a, of a question-and-answer type session with the bro, where I put certain things to him, and, we, and and in that way, we're going to try and tease out where these guys stood in the band, what their value was, um, and how they contributed, and so forth. Is that okay with you, then, bro?
0: Bro, that sounds perfect. Go for it, man. Go for it.
1: Okay, let's see where we begin. Um, let's take it from the early stages, man, if we go back to 1962, 1961 even. At that mm-hmm. stage the two major Beatles, John and Paul, they had organised a partnership for themselves and were quite happy in, the, in, in that partnership. So that I wonder, that my question is, at that stage then, could any competent guitar player and drummer have easily sat in with that band and the band still have had the success that they, they did have? In other words, how relevant were George and Ringo or were they bit players?
0: OK, well, I mean, you ask 100 people that you get 100 different answers. My answer is a very simple one. Uh, yeah, other guys could have sat in with them, but they wouldn't. The second part of your question, they wouldn't have had the success they had. George and Ringo were essential to the Beatles. The Beatles were a unit. There were four guys from Liverpool. Same, They looked roughly the same. They were roughly the same size. They had the same sense of humour. They, they shared the same background. They understood each other. Uh, George and Ringo knew instinctively that they, were, they had to uh, be junior partners. That was obvious. It was never a problem, certainly not for Ringo. Um, for George, possibly in later years, but uh, up until, say, the White Album period, or after Pepper, anyway, no. So <clears throat> uh, the answer to your question is, no, two other guys couldn't have sat in. Uh, the two guys that did sit in were perfect, and that's why the Beatles became the Beatles.
1: And how perfect were they in terms of musicians? Um, how how good a guitarist was George Harrison in the early days of the Beatles, and more importantly, how good a drummer was Ringo. Um,
0: Ringo, was, Ringo was a great drummer all all along. Absolutely perfect, great. When I say great, he was great. Not in the virtuoso. 20-minute solo, Ginger Baker-type Great. He was a great drummer for sitting into a band there's, there's, and, and feeling the songs they were doing. There's lots of drum, great drummers like that, like the Mike Avery and the Kings.
1: But it's, it's true to say that he did have trouble in the beginning, didn't he, with, with uh, George Martin?
0: He had trouble for the first day in the studio, and that was because George Martin didn't really know his style at that stage, I think. Uh, he, he was replaced on one take... Of Love Me Do by a session drummer called Andy White. But the version and he recorded two versions, Ringo himself. And the, the version of Love Me Do that was released as a single has Ringo on it. So there was never anything the Beatles released that he wasn't on. <clears throat> so he he that that would have put some people off, but it didn't put him off. And he 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 listened to their songs. And he he drummed perfectly on them. And on the occasion, on uh, some occasions, where he was directed by one of the two more senior guys, in this case, Paul, to play drums a particular way, he did it. One example of that, a huge one, is is Ticket to Ride, where Paul came up with the idea of, of a backwards beat, which was a brilliant idea. Explained it to Ringo, Ringo played it, it worked. Now, had he had someone else, Ginger Baker or someone like that, it probably wouldn't have worked, it would have led to a row. And and in there you see one of the reasons why he Ringo was so important to the Beatles. He fitted in, they all liked him. It was impossible not to like the guy, I'd say. And he was uh, he was also very original. He he came up with some great, he came up with the titles of several of their songs, Eight Days a Week, Hard Days Night. George, slightly different, but equally uh uh suitable to the Beatles. Uh a better guitar player than John, definitely not better than Paul, but uh, he fitted perfectly. And um, when Joe, uh, anyone asks about George, they always ask about his guitar playing. His singing was equally important. He, uh, on his own, he wasn't the greatest singer in the world, but what he was was a wonderful middle harmony singer.
1: So well, he fitted in, his very, voice sat very, in
0: between John and Paul. Perfect.
1: Yeah, that suited them in the oh. early singles, didn't it? I mean, there was it suited big...
0: them all the way through.
1: Yeah. But to go back to Ringo for a minute, um, I found it interesting that you make the point that he would do and did do what Paul uh, asked him to do, which is fair enough. But he he also he also contributed the whole thing of the fills that he did. Um, for example, the one that he did, he did at the beginning of She Loves You. And there were others. Um, that, was, that was all his own work, if you like, wasn't it? I mean, that was oh, yeah, his, yeah. his idea.
0: Yeah, it was his own work. I mean, he Ringo, like, <clears throat> I laugh when I hear people saying Ringo wasn't a great drummer. And the reason they say that is uh, twofold. One, he was in the Beatles, and anyone that wasn't John or Paul, they were going to say they weren't that great. Secondly, he didn't go in for flash. He didn't do a Ginger Baker. I know I keep talking about Ginger, but whoever, even Keith Moon, if you like, who was a great drummer in The Who, but was a very, you had to give him his head. Ringo was a disciplined drummer. Like a guy in the army, almost in an army band, he fitted in. Now, with, with with what was going on, but what was going on was phenomenal, and he was able. Ringo was able to listen to a song, uh, John Lennon throwing out a song like "Strawberry Fields," and drum perfectly on it. Not easy. Not
1: well, very difficult, I would have said. Probably a lot of coaching. Do you reckon that George Martin coached him in any to any degree? I mean, no. I don't know that George was a proficient as a as a percussionist. He seemed to have been at everything else, but. Uh, Did he have any input into into Ringo's drumming?
0: Oh, he had input. The the input George Martin has is when the thing was recorded, he would say, you need to do this, that, or the other. And they always took his word on that. Uh, Well, always. They took his word until they disintegrated that way. After Pepper, the the rules changed a little bit. But they did. And that is why their, their most productive period possibly is the period where they came off the road, they had time to record, and they were still accepting George in the way he was. And that would cover three albums, certainly two Rubber Soul and, and Revolver, oh, yeah. and possibly Pepper as well.
1: Yeah. Um, to go back to, to George for a minute, um, and as a just a by question on, on George, do you think it was, it, do you think it, it hurt McCartney to have to give up playing guitar and take over bass? Do you think he sort of resented that because he was a very accomplished guitar player? And um, maybe technically even better than he was. He had more imagination than George has, for sure. And um, and yet he was the one. Why did he why did he choose to, to step over on bass? Which wasn't wasn't the, uh, the, the you know, it wasn't the, the, the flashiest instrument in the band. It would be it would be the very least of the guitar playing people.
0: Well, there's a lot of things you could argue about. And it's a great question and it's not an easy one to answer. And there's several facets to it. Firstly, um uh, i don't know and i don't think it's ever been a- answered the question of how badly or how did he feel about having to switch from from guitar to bass now he did it at a very very early stage he did it while they were about 1960 that far back when they were in hamburg when when they realized that Stuart sutliffe wasn't a musician and couldn't it was getting embarrassing uh they needed a bass player and, and they were going to keep it within the guys they had so he moved over uh, and it, and and one thing you neglected in your question, he became one of the greatest bass players of all times.
1: No, without agree. a
0: single doubt. He he would also have been one of the great guitar players. Uh, you can hear little bits of how good he is now and again. The, the, the thing, and he was a great piano player. The thing with Paul is that he could do anything musically. Yeah, he, but uh, wasn't
1: it wasn't it strange that he he you'd imagine, considering what we were talking about a minute ago and the fact that the, George was the junior partner and accepted his role as the junior partner, wouldn't it have been more obvious if if George or if Paul had said, look, we need somebody to step over on bass, I want you to do that, and, I, and I'll continue to play guitar. It's, it, well, that would uh, be more McCartney, sort of the type of thing he would do, I would have thought.
0: Yeah, well, uh, I like, <clears throat> It sounds, well, your theory sounds sound, if you know what I mean. It sounds as if it could be. I don't know the answer to that. I don't think anybody alive, well, Paul knows. But uh, uh, for whatever reason, he stuck to bass. Now, <clears throat> having said that, as we've discussed there, he didn't stick to bass in studio. Uh, um, the only time he ever played guitar on stage in those days was was when he was doing yesterday with the Spanish guitar or whatever. But... Um, in studio, he played guitar quite a bit. So uh, he seems to have been quite happy to play bass. Now, <clears throat> bass is very, very, very overlooked as an instrument. People talk, See, the guitar has such a, a sexy image. Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, et cetera. But the thing is that a, a good bass player is worth his weight in platinum. And there are you know, people like uh, uh, John Paul Jones, for instance. John, John Entwistle from The Who was a great bass player. And then later, these guys like Jack of Pastorius and all these. But um, uh, I I don't know if he if there was ever a time where Paul thought I wish I was a guitar player because I've never heard or read my my in my feeling is that he was quite happy. Paul was a band animal. He loved the Beatles more than any of the other three, and he 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 would have kept the Beatles going right through the seventies up into the eighties if he oh, could have, amazing. but. Uh, he knew that the sound, if possible, I, mean, I don't know this, he knew mm. that the sound he was getting on the bass and the way he would put bass in, like the way Ringo put drums, was essential. Mm. The Beatles needed everything they had sound and there was only four of them there. Mm. And if, because the songs were so complex and so brilliant, it needed people who really knew. And if you listen to some of the bass playing on some of their songs, mid-period even, Hard to think of anyone else that could have done
1: it. Yeah, the walking. And if they base.
0: got a professional in and just given notes or whatever, it never would have worked.
1: Yeah, the 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 walking bass on on Penny Lane, for example, I've always loved. Um, I know he was yeah, a no base.
0: way George could have played bass like just,
1: that. It's yeah. just an interesting question that, that we haven't addressed before. So, so our two friends were the big players, but they accepted their position, and and I think that proved to be a godsend because. As the band developed, um, you know, they, they continued to accept that, which, which, which must have added to the stability of the band.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, the junior but the big players or the, the junior it never it never like the the public image never gave that. They had they had their own image, the Beatles, and, and it was wasn't like that. It was four four of them equal, in that you had John the, the slightly intimidating intellectual one, Paul the cutie that all the girls went mad about, Ringo, the lovable one that everyone wanted to bring home and cuddle, and I'm sure several women did. And finally George, who was possibly the more difficult one to figure out, a little bit more sullen than the others. He was known as the quiet Beetle. So they all had their own image. They were all equal. It was always obvious that the songs were Lennon and McCarthy because that's what it was called. But Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody ever referred to George and Ringo as the junior Beatles. Mm -hmm. if, if, If you could put it anyway, it possibly would be that the other two were the senior Beatles. But only because... They did all the singing between them. Most well, the lead singing was always there, nearly always. And they did. They wrote the songs.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it stands to reason. It stands to reason. Um, but you mentioned there the image that, that both Ringo and and George had. Um, how did that transfer onto the fans? They were, especially Ringo was quite was quite big, especially in America, was he not?
0: Ringo was. Phew. Ringo had more fans you know in the days when he used to get fan mail and all that kind of stuff and <clears throat> uh, he had more fans than any of the other uh, of the other three had uh, in most places in the world and if you, if you look at old footage nowadays you can see them introducing each other you know the way they do that and when Ringo is introduced the screams are, are beyond deafening Ringo <laughs> struck a chord with everyone now it may have been because the other three Beatles could be seen at times to be a little bit up their own art. You know what I mean? There's a John writing his books, Paul always a little bit arrogant and patronising to people, and George always a little bit sulky and withdrawal. Mm. On the other hand, Ringo was like the lad in the pub that buys you a pint the minute you walk in the door. How are you doing, mate? You know, everyone's best friend.
1: But they were also they were also appealing to a very young audience, uh, especially girls. I mean, it was it was you know it was 12 we forget that the fans at that stage were 12 and 13 years of
0: age yeah oh. there were teeny boppers like it was the equivalent of today's boy bands like uh, whoever uh, uh, westlife or whoever they are. I don't mean musically but in terms of appeal and <clears throat> it was again you see it's 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 all these things have been more jet propelled nowadays this was back in the dawn of history if you like for all this kind of stuff the, again i said i mentioned this name a couple of times before the only one that came before them that could have been in the same category would be Elvis. But yeah. Elvis was a solo, so he didn't have anyone else to worry about. Mm. Uh, there wasn't anyone else. In, in Britain at that time, there was nothing like that. There was Cliff Richard and The Shadow, but they were more like a Mormon tabernacle choir as regards sex appeal. The Shadow. People were raw. They were the whole thing. The Stones hadn't appeared at that stage. Yeah. So... Yeah, they, they, uh, uh, I mean, it, it was very much a physical appeal. and That's why I mentioned that the hairstyles and the, the, the Bavarian jackets and, the, you know, the bowing at the end of the songs and the, when they were, you know, all very deliberately done, like when they were singing and they'd go, woo they'd all shake their hair and all this, you know. It was all just something to elicit a, a reaction from teenybombers. Mm-hmm. But uh, the music stood of course.
1: Yeah, so... Let's talk about George again for in a little more depth, uh, because obviously George, as opposed to Ringo, had a, a career as a songwriter. Now, obviously, he was he was, if you like, he was standing on the shoulder of, of two very large giants, but he did develop as a songwriter and um, how I've often wondered, and I'd like to know your opinion on this, was was he intimidated or was he helped? Because you can see how it could be either or, or either one. I mean, you could be completely put off by the fact that these two partners of yours keep coming in with these amazing songs, and it seems as if they're throwing them together so easily. While I suspect that George labored a little bit with his, with his songs that he, he had a think on. They were, they were more complex at times than, than the other two. So it could have, it could have put him off. On the other hand, it could have encouraged him in watching them. I mean, which do you reckon it was? And how good a songwriter did he develop into anyway?
0: Well, uh, to go back to the beginning of that question, sorry. To go back to the beginning of that question, um, he certainly wasn't intimidated. The one thing that George, John and Paul had was 100% confidence. Three of them. He would have been inspired, Joel, rather than intimidate. You asked, was he helped? I don't think he was helped. I doubt that John and Paul helped anyone else, songwriting-wise. And, and for in the early days, particularly, they wouldn't have had time to help anybody else. They may have, John being John, may have said, thrown a word here or there, you know, it would be his nature. Paul may have helped him with an arrangement, perhaps, which Paul would do. <coughs> uh, but helping, no, they were too busy doing their own stuff. But George had great confidence. How good a songwriter was he? He developed... Uh, I mean, it's it's very difficult to discuss his songwriting, considering that he's in a band with Lennon and McCartney. You know, it's it's like the, it's such a huge shadow; the sun never gets there. But he, his songwriting—it wasn't of their standard. But by the end of the Beatles, he had written a couple of the best songs on Abbey Road. I wonder if
1: if um, if he hadn't been in the Beatles, if he hadn't been in his own band, for example, how would his would his songwriting? Uh, what would the legacy be? would he be regarded... He wouldn't be regarded as a Ray Davis or a, a Jagger Rich. No. But he would have been... He would have got a certain amount of recognition, uh, would he not? The problem, as you say, is that he was, he was working alongside these these other two
0: guys. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's impossible to answer what would have happened to George if he wasn't a Beatle, if the Beatles didn't exist. Uh, he wrote a couple of good songs, definitely. He wrote quite a few nice songs. But it's, it's unlikely... That he had the greatest promotion on earth being a, being one of the Beatles. He wouldn't have been one of the Beatles then. He wouldn't have people would never have heard the songs. That's the bottom line. He was very lucky. So was Ringo that they were in that band. And I think they both knew that as well. Certainly Ringo did.
1: Yeah, it's 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 actually disappointing to think that you might be right in the sense that had they had George not been in the Beatles, um, we might never have heard something, or uh, I would
0: say it certainly never would have heard. You know, he would he would have been a musician. He would have played in a band in Liverpool, and he could have released a couple of singles, but nothing, nothing, nothing like obviously what happened. No,
1: um, staying with George for a minute, um, another thing, another thing noteworthy of George was the influence, how they influenced each other, and um, the whole Indian, the whole Indian mystic thing. That he introduced in the mid 60s now i appreciate that it could have been a a byproduct of the times that were in it in that a lot of things a lot of things a lot of groovy happening in the mid 60s but he was the one he was the one that directly introduced the beatles and gave them that influence um how important was it was it important at all i mean in terms of music i can only think of maybe two or three songs that you could directly say had an influence well was influenced by primarily the sitar but was it was it significant
0: no it wasn't i don't think it was significant at all it was just a a diversion i mean when you say you know influence of indian music george got a sitar and he he messed about with it he wasn't the first one to do that by the way jeff beck had done it earlier on, on a, a song by the artboards called Over, Under, Sideways, Down, before George, before uh, uh, Norwegian Wood. So it wasn't that original. Uh, he, he, his interest in, in Indian music was, was genuine, I would say, and in Indian philosophy and religion, etc. The influence on the Beatles, no. I mean, they, it he, he influenced them to, to go to see the Maharishi, in, or Maharishi, and they went to India again under his influence. Musically, nothing. What, uh, the, the sitar on on Norwegian mood,
1: except you, you, I would maybe argue that in the sense that you mentioned that they went to the hashram or whatever the word is, um, <laughs> I like with,
0: that an ashram, but actually when you think about it, it could yeah. have been a hashram, I'd it was say. A, it was a,
1: <laughs> the mistake was purpose. Um, the the fact is that, that while they were there, they they wrote most of the songs for the White Album. Now, I think that's. I think that means that he had an amazing influence.
0: Uh, well, I, supposing they had gone to Hawaii instead. Well, they, they, I, they, they wrote because they were there, they didn't have any, any outside problems from the world and they were in good weather. Yeah, I mean, but that could have been a million he places.
1: Was he was the reason they were there. That's the point I'm making. If 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 if, he, if they hadn't been there, they would have been back in the in the clubs in London or wherever. Um they would still have been creative of course but like the, it's phenomenal the amount of the amount of material they wrote while they were in india oh
0: they yeah, well they're, oh, they're, the white album it's true it was it was a very creative period for them and a creative place obviously also they they had a couple of friends along with them who who uh, influenced them and strangely enough that happened to the beatles all the time uh, donovan was there and donovan used to play the old uh, the 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 open G, or the open D, or oh, the dagga, yeah. one of those folk tunings, and he showed both John and Paul how to play that, and they used it, and it was used on, you can hear it on dozens of, well, several tracks on the White Album, Mother Nature's Son, um, Dear Prudence, yeah. Blackbird, yeah, lots of the, there was a an influence there, but, so, being there, being with the people there, were with Mike Love from the Beach Boys was there as well, how much influence he had, I don't know, but, um, uh, it was a fertile place for their creativity.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I suppose the, the, the answer to the question we set out to answer is that, yeah, these guys certainly couldn't have been anybody's. They, they were somebody who were very competent. They accepted where they were and they did contribute in a big way. Good supporting act, you'd say.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. No, like, I mean, they could, the Fab Four, when you use that phrase, that that's it. That sums yeah. it up. They, there was never the Fab Two plus the Junior Fab Two. Really? It was the Fab Four. There's no Beetle that wasn't uh, uh, indispensable to the Beatles ultimately. Now someone come along and say, oh there was a great bass player in Hull at the time, George Mulrooney, or whoever," but we don't know that. And and if there was, well, why didn't he get off his arse and go down and join them? It's the four guys that were in the Beatles were the Beatles, and. Uh, it's obviously now, it doesn't matter now, but but I think it was perfect uh, the way they were. It was one of these million to one things, it'll never happen again, it never happened before, and it could never have happened again. And the, and the, the proof of the pudding there is that any of the other bands that became anyway uh, in the same league as the Beatles, and there was nobody in the same league, but became their competitions, their competitors, their club, whatever, they were totally different kind of bands. If you think straight away... I'll, I'll name you three: the Rolling Stones, the Kinks, the Who. All three bands totally different to the Beatles
1: in mm. every way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I have to say, in summary, though, that there's I'm I'm accepting the, our verdict. Uh, though there's something at the back of my mind that still says that. There may well be that guitarist in, in Scunthorpe and another one in <laughs> Leamington Spar somewhere. Uh, who could easily, Who could just as easily have, have fit in. I think the two principals were the powerhouse. But anyway, listen, look, bro, it's been good. It's been good to get your feelings on that. Uh, worthwhile, worthwhile podcast. And we'll pick it up again on the next one. All right?
0: Absolutely. Stay cool, man.
1: Leave it there, too.